I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everyone. It's Brian with 12-Pack Radio, and we're doing a mailbag episode this week and really excited. There's some great questions that were sent in. Um, keep them coming. And uh, we we don't always have to have a mailbag question uh, podcast in order to answer your questions. You can send those to our Twitter account, 12-Pack Radio. That's at 12PAC Radio. You can also email your questions to our Gmail account. That's 12PACRadio at gmail.com, 12PACRadio at gmail.com. And I really liked this episode. We got to go in a lot of different directions and touch on some really cool topics. So stay tuned for that. Before we had recorded that section, we had started an initial conversation on the news that happened at Assault Lake and Corvallis, respectively. The first being uh, Utah Defensive Coordinator Morgan Scally had used a text message that had uh, racial language in it. And then out of Corvallis, a red shirt uh, tight end, uh, the recording came out of him talking for about two minutes using a host of offensive language. And uh, when we were talking about it, the news had just broke and we decided to hold off until a couple other pieces had come out on it um, to get a full story. So a good example being The Athletic wrote a really good article about Morgan Scally and the culture at Utah. And it had uh, players on record coming out and saying, hey, case, we just wanted to make sure to hold off for a little bit to include that stuff. So we're going to cover it. Um, we just felt like we w- that it would be better if we had done it after um, some more info came out. So stay tuned for that. It's an important story. We try to avoid politics on this show. I hope you can appreciate that. Uh, however, I, I mean, this is just a, a big story and it has a lot to do with the culture in the in the conference and in college football. And we just thought it was really important to cover. So uh, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. Uh, we really liked it. And again, send those questions our way and keep them coming coming and uh i hope you enjoy it it's a new day yes it is for 12 pack radio get excited y'all All right, we're back and we're going to go to a mailbag. And thanks to everybody that sent in questions. Sometimes we've been sending them out and sometimes we don't get uh, <laughs> as many responses as we wanted. But we've we've picked up a number of recent listeners and a, and a large number of listeners. So thank you for participating and thank you for sending them in. want to go through these one, one by one. Um, the first question comes from Paul Raish. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your name, Paul. And I know Paul's been listening to the podcast for a while. He asks, is Herm Edwards really a good coach? And he gives them pros and cons. He says, pro, he's a good motivator recruiter and tries to force the other team to make mistakes the cons when faced with fourth and five to go on the opponent's 35 yard line Herm will punt enthusiastically which uh, that was kind of a funny comment um I'll take the first stab at this I think from a leadership standpoint right we just talked about like a lack of leadership um in a number of programs and when it comes to leadership I think I, I think he's done a really excellent job at setting a culture 
and and building a program and that's what you want out of your coach now obviously the x's and o's are a little bit different um but compared to the expectations which were incredibly low but also compared to some of the other programs in the pac-12 and i look at ucla and colorado and arizona and some of the some of the schools that were in that peer group for asu I think, Max, that you have to give ASU, like, not just the thumbs up above them, but I think that it just, Herm has done significantly better than a lot of other programs that made recent coaching hires. I agree. And I I mean, with regarding the expectations that Herm had at Arizona State, I I think first two seasons that he exceeded them. Now, is, is Herm... Herm, I mean, he's definitely not. He's he's a conservative coach. I mean, he he his trademark is play to win the game, and so with Arizona State, at least you're not seeing a lot of blowouts by the Sun Devils, but you're also not seeing the Sun Devils get blown out a ton either. It's it's a lot of one possession games, and so I think that Herm has this team uh, well prepared. I think that this is a well coached team, and. I, I, I'm just not sure if the talent level is really there this season to compete with USC and the Pac-12 South. And Max, one of the things that we've really tried to cover on this podcast is approaching these games from a gambling standpoint. And at the beginning of the last year, you highlighted and outlined immediately the fact that betting on ASU, if it's a big spread, is a good idea. And it was like there, there were multiple times where I won multiple games where ASU maybe was the underdog, but it was by too many points. And they've consistently kept those games close, you know, going to the, the coaching standpoint, I think he has the culture part, right? It'll be interesting to see a, with the Marvin Lewis, we talked about this a few episodes again, um, but if the Marvin Lewis defensive coordinator uh, idea works out, and whether or not Zach Hill can get the best out of the offense. But I'd like to see a little bit more of an aggressive standpoint sometimes with uh, the way that Herm approaches the game, Rob. But, I mean, if you're an ASU fan, I think you kind of smoke him if you got him with him right now. I mean, one thing you could definitely say about Herm that I I think that, you know, some of the other sort of mid-level programs around the Pac-12, you know, could have or should have learned from. I mean, Herm made two hires this off season to fill out his staff below the court. I mean, we talk about the coordinator level, but um, in hiring the wide receiver coach and the DB coach that he hired, um, he hired very young analysts from uh, one was off of Oregon. I can't remember. I want to say the other one was off of USC staff, but I could be wrong. Um, But hiring those analysts, those guys actually turned out to be great additions in recruiting. Um, And I think that's where Herm, I'm interested to see how I mean interested of course to see how it, it works right like because you like in my view like you can you can cheat a little bit and hire coordinators that don't recruit as well and you could cheat a little bit and hire position coaches that are a little better at recruiting than they are maybe at coaching positions um and herm seems to be trying to make some of that bet right um with that and like but being able to identify that there were you know two guys out there that he could go out and hire immediately that would have an immediate impact on recruiting that's that's a smart move like that's a sharp move right there you can't take away from that i do say i mean like it's he he definitely made the right call in removing lichens at the oc job um and i you know I, i think that uh we'll see how that goes i don't know that i would have i mean i would not have hired zach hill um, you know, they're like, 
it's weird that people are saying that ASU offense was like too complicated for Jaden Daniels. Like Likens ran a version of the air raid. Like that's pretty simple. Like that Boise offense that Hill is bringing is way more complicated. <laughs> so like it, did Herm, did Herm hire the right OC? Um, you know, and then Marvin Lewis, of course, like, will that work? Like we talk about this a lot, you know, like, you know, hiring coordinators is, you know, probably the most important thing the the head coach does. Um, but I, you know, like if you're, if you're, if you're just gauging on, you know, what the expectations were for this, you know, like he's doing great compared to what the original expectations were, including mine. Right. Like he's clearly beaten those. Um, but I would also like, I mean, if you dropped ASU in the middle of the, you know, the big 10, you know, East or the ACC, or I mean the SEC, even the SEC East, ASU is like a five game, you know, is going to win five games, you know, max, um, you know, they're going to benefit this season. They, they might win eight games because the PAC 12 itself was so weak, but I mean, I don't like, I, I want to see ASU. I think next year is really their year maybe with Daniels maturing, um, you know, and we'll see where they end up on the offensive line. But I don't know. I was, I was a little surprised at keeping Dave Christensen on the, as the O-line coach. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, they had like, a lot but, of injuries, uh, would, though, like, right? I mean, they had yeah. two freshmen play, basically, on the line. One of them was 17. I mean, <laughs> that's all true. But, I mean, like, we, we talked, like, <laughs> they sort of knew they had, you know, major problems with depth. And, I, you know, you don't know that they really did enough to address it, like, maybe even trying to bring in JUCOs. And I guess, I guess when I look at it, I, I think, like, um, you know, like, Herm's definitely overperformed what my expectations were. Like, I don't know, though, that I would look at it and say that, like, I would I, w- I wouldn't bet a lot of money on ASU winning the South in the next three years. I wouldn't bet a lot of money on that. On the offensive line, the one the one good thing if you're an ASU fan is bringing in I think it's Kellen Deesh from uh, Texas A&M. I think he's going to start at left tackle. Henry Haddis from Stanford will be on the line, and they're talking about like I think the 17 year old is going to red they're going to try to redshirt him, and they they recruited like 18 offensive linemen last year. So yeah, you're right. It'll be interesting to see you know bodies are bodies. How do you develop them is really the key. Are the are the transfers actually going to fill in that role? Uh, one more thing on Herm, I kind of like just from a pure like leadership, right? These are young men that, um, and like, if I had one coach that I would want to babysit my kids or like be a mentor, it would like totally be Herm and it's not even close. Like, I can't imagine Chip Kelly coming over to my house and babysitting my kids. I could like, I could see Herm just like trying to instill some sort of like life lesson with them. I I, I just think he's at a really good job building a culture around like leadership and stuff. So anyway, I'm hopefully that answers your question, Paul. Thanks for sending it in. I want to go more towards the um, uh, away from the X's and O's because we got a lot more like kind of uh, bigger questions. Um, let's do this one. This one's pretty fun. And I forget who this came from. I apologize. But um, it says name two teams that you would like to join the Pac-12. Um, and that was that was submitted if like a few minutes ago. So I wanted to bring that in. I think it's great. Um, I could tap dance because I, I already saw this and was prepared for it. But um so maybe let me let me do that first, and then I'll throw it to you, Max. I think there's a couple teams that come to mind. If you're going home run, I think it's Texas, right? Like <laughs> to be able to bring in the University of Texas to the Pac-12 would be great. But that that like in reality, that can't happen. They have the network. I think the Big 12 is happy, and a lot of the teams, as Rob has said before, have um, are, are are just fine. Like not getting as much money as Texas in the Big 12. So I think they're in a really good spot there. If you want to go lower on the level. Um, just from a pure entertainment 
and um, selfish reason. Uh, man, I wish UNLV was better. Um, they have a, a good history at basketball, um, not so much on the football front, um, but I think it, and obviously like there's research university stuff. Like there's a whole bunch of other things that go in with teams joining the the Pac-12. But I would love to to see UNLV in the Pac-12 to get the resources. Um, I think you immediately have a good basketball program. I think the football program, if you were able to get the money, would be able to build something. They're going to play at the Raider Stadium for a little bit. Um, that would be that would be one on my list. The the easy second one would be I'm not the easy one like. I think it's a tie between San Diego State and Boise, and obviously the TV contracts are totally botched. So I'm like just throwing those out the window right now. Um, but San Diego State has had a good history um, in college basketball. Their football program has been really solid um, under the leadership of a couple good coaches now um, over there. And of course, you have Boise State. Like their basketball program sucks, but their football program is good. Um, those are kind of boring. I'm going to throw out one more name for you guys um, after after I hear from you. But, Max, what, what would be the two programs you'd want to join the Pac-12? Well, if I was still covering Pac-12 football as a beat reporter, Hawaii, number one, for sure. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a pain uh, in the neck to get out there, though. Yeah, no, that's true. It is still – It's. A, I think it's a six-hour flight from L.A. to Hawaii, but still worth it, in, in my opinion. Um, I think UNLV – makes a lot of strategic sense just for where the Pac-12 wants to go and how it can expand its fan base, how it can expand its brand, just getting that Vegas market. Um, and even though UNLV, it, especially in football, is down from – and I mean the basketball – I mean with TJ Olsenberger, like hopefully that they can improve there. But it's just – it's not a level of – caliber that pac 12 athletics is really used to so if, if unlv was just a little better i think that they would make a lot of sense um i think san diego state makes a lot of sense so if i was going for realistic candidates those would be my top two um otherwise uh, bring on texas and oklahoma <laughs> there you go and and chat and like Larry Scott did try. I mean, like, if there's one thing we're going to – we'll get to him in a bit. We got a question about him, but he at least tried to get those two programs. Uh, what do you also, think, Oh, yeah, go Actually, ahead. one other one, BYU would be kind of fascinating. Yeah, that was – well, let's talk about them now because that was the name I was going to throw out. Um, right, like, the, the a good football program, um, a pretty good basketball program, and they got a real good coach there. Really and, good. Like, honestly, there was maybe one or two Pac-12 teams that you could say were – but maybe even one Pac-12 team that was better than BYU this past season in basketball. Absolutely. I was going to make that case. Like, if you drop BYU in the Pac-12 now in football and basketball, they're in the upper uh, uh, quarter in the basketball front. And then football, like, if you give them some more resources, A, you have the rivalry with Utah. And in Utah, it would break the backs of Utah fans because they hold that over BYU's fans all the time. We're in a power conference, which I think is hysterical. Like, I, I love those tweets. They're really fun to read. Um but if you dropped them, I mean, I think they, I think they beat Arizona, I think they beat Oregon State, um, they beat UCLA, they beat Colorado. Um, I mean, that's not nothing, Rob. But uh, I mean, I'll say that, like, I, uh, the academics just aren't there. <laughs> that's just like, if you want to talk about like why BYU is not good, I mean, and also like they just they don't bring any TV money to the table. Um, beyond what Utah already brought like you already you already got that money right it'd be uh it'd be redundant like you 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 got you got into the salt lake market with utah um 
you know, like, you know, BYU, like where's the, you know, the largest concentrations of, of, of LDS or like, or, you know, in Arizona, uh, well, you've got two schools in Arizona already, like Idaho, like uh, Wyoming, <laughs> you know, like Western Colorado, um, you know, or Nevada, right? Like Nevada has a large LDS population. Like it's not, I just, I, I don't think BYU is going to, it would move the needle for the Pac-12 um, beyond the weird fit of a, um, a private, not great research institution um, that would not be terribly appealing to the Pac-12. <laughs> the, um, the Utah Man podcast is going to record that and just play it for no, beta on mean, their the, podcast. The, like, every, like, this is every like everybody when they talk about everyone like everyone gets conference expansion wrong they're like who's good at football and i'm like that doesn't matter like rutgers did not get invited to the big 10 because they were of their football record they got invited because they brought new york they allowed the big 10 network to be in you know the tier one cable um subscriptions in new york and allowed the big 10 network to be in a lot more households um and get a lot more dollars uh in new york than they would have otherwise um, and, you know, New Jersey's got a lot of people. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to throw out two names that are way out of um, way out there. And it's Tulane and Houston. So when oh, the Houston's a good one. Yeah. Okay. When the Pac-12 has uh, when it has admitted members in the past. So with the last two times they've added, they added Arizona and Arizona State. And Arizona was an American Association of Universities member. Uh, ASU was not, but they were at least a Carnegie Research One level institution. When Colorado and Utah came in, now Utah just joined the American Association of Universities, but Colorado was already a member and Utah was a tier one Carnegie Research institution. Now, Tulane is an AAU member and the New Orleans market isn't huge, but it's not bad. Houston, however, is a huge market yeah and houston is as of 2011 has been moved up um and it was reconfirmed in 2016 as an an r1 you know re, you know tier one research institution for carnegie that gives you a sort because the pac-12 likes to have its you know geographic pairs uh for the basketball you know scheduling um, you know, and for other sports too, where you do have, you know, the home games, you can make the trip, right. You could make the Houston and new Orleans trip. Now it's a long way, but in between, in between, you know, the, the, like the trouble, if you look around the PAC 12 is there's just not a lot of great, there's not a lot of great population centers to add. Like you could see, you look at like New Mexico, like Albuquerque, eh, it's okay. It's not great in size wise. Right. And then you have all of West Texas. Like I think that if the Pac-12 wanted to really add some add some dollars into what they were doing, they would go get in, you know, the the lower tier level of cable subscription. I mean, I don't even like, it's probably nearly impossible to get Pac-12 network in Houston. <laughs> so like <laughs> get it. Um, if you manage to get on the lower tier level in Houston, like that's that's some big money that the conference would bring in. Cause like that's the that's the question that, you know, all of these, you know everyone is asking when they look at expansion, like when the big 12 looks at expansion and they even looked at, you know, adding BYU and they decided not to, the trouble is, is like, am I adding more mouths at the table or am I, am I adding in mouths, you know, somebody that's bringing in, you know, like dollars in a bag, you know, with them. And, you know, when they, you know, the big 12 looked across, they, they didn't find anybody that really added dollars, you know, like that was bringing any money with them. Um, 
Houston's the, Houston, like, so Houston, not interesting if you're a big 12 team, right? Like you are, you already are because of Texas, um, you know, like in that market, you've got it covered, but for another conference, like I think Houston's interesting. Yeah, that's a good one. I totally forgot about Houston, Max. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, I, I think Houston is definitely an outside the box for like, you wouldn't think of a traditional candidate, but it checks off so a lot of boxes for what the PAC 12 needs. Wait, hey, Rob, do you know anything about UNLV in terms of their academics? I think they're an R1 institution. Like, the trouble is, like, the Las Vegas DMA, like, the the area where, like, you would be, you'd be you, your commercials would be shown if they were on, like, local TV. Um, it ranks, like, 49 overall. Um, it's just, I mean, it's big. Like, I mean, compare, like, I mean, it's definitely, I think, if you look at the options that you could add within the Pac-12 footprint, like, Vegas is your best option um, for sure. Um, right. Cause like you, like, I, th- I think the PAC 12, like, I think the PAC 12 network is already has Southern California and San Diego covered with UCLA and USC. So, I mean, like if you were going to stay in the footprint, it's, it's UNLV is far and away your most attractive option. There you go. All right. Let's do UNLV in Houston. Done. although i like we rob you and i went to houston my god it is that that weather there was just just unbearable so bad just just like the the early season like the the man like the pac-12 mandate that like arizona and arizona state can't start games before like seven local time um you know until uh october like we went to a noon game, non-conference game uh, in Houston, and it was, it was death. And Josh, uh, who went with us, uh, was wearing jeans, and I thought we were gonna have to like carry Josh out of that stadium. <laughs> it was so hot. And Rob, you and I are both in the Tex-Mex is not Mexican food camp. Like, yes, <laughs> Mexican food is <laughs> significantly better than Texas uh, Mexican food. Tex-Mex. If they, if in fact, if Houston did get asked to join, like I, I might have to not talk so much smack about Tex-Mex. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, Hey, here's another interesting question. This came from Patton5179. If the Pac-12 plays without fans, which teams does this help or hurt the most? Um... Let's go with that question, too, because he asked another one about scheme that I like. Max, what do you think? I mean, like you focus on the, the point spreads and stuff and home field advantage. Um, who's harmed and helped most by uh, by the lack of fans? Uh, probably UCLA because they're used to not playing with fans anyway. Hey, hey, hey now. And Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, like, like Washington and Oregon, like those are probably the two 
big home field advantages in terms of loud fan bases. But the Pac-12 is so interesting because they're a couple geographical advantages, like Utah and Colorado, obviously, but also traveling to Pullman or Corvallis. And just because of the atmosphere, it's like I, I, even though Utah is a great home fan base, I feel like that there's still an advantage for the youths playing in, or hosting a team in Salt Lake that you don't need the fans for, whereas – I, I feel that it would be a little bit more of a drop for an Oregon or a Washington. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Oregon and Washington are hurt. The one I think um, it probably hurts the the least would be, I'm trying to think of like how to categorize it, but you just mentioned Oregon State. And I think Corvallis is a weird place to play, but I think it's a weird place to play because of the fans. Like that, that stadium can get loud. It's kind of a weird spot. But playing in Corvallis with no fans, like who cares? You know, like it's just, I think, especially with the team that they have now, you know, if there isn't a, like if, if there aren't, isn't the crowd that's like throwing the snap count off and like just getting into it and giving that team energy, I mean, I can see a scenario where they just get, I mean, and they're already low on our list of teams that are going to, perform well this year um i just think that that really hurts them because i don't know if there is any home field advantage outside of the travel to corvallis but uh, i know what do you think rob i'm fast I, I, like i can't tell you how like this sounds I, I i hope fans get to go in the stadium but if they don't get to go into the stadium then i get to test out whether fans matter in home field advantage in the model <laughs> So, like, part of me is like, oh, this is a cool natural experiment. Like, I could find out whether home field advantage is about, you know, like, not having to travel and getting to, like, you know, use your own locker room or whether it's, like, about the stadium uh, and how loud it is. So, um, I I mean, I, I think Max is driving, like, the, the, the atmospheres at a lot of Pac-12 stadiums. Um, and, I mean, we're not the first ones to notice this, can underwhelm in some places. I mean, the only places that I think regularly – um, you know, sell out in the Pac-12 are, are Utah, uh, Oregon, and Washington. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I think those are the ones that would sort of jump out at me. I mean, like, you know, Arizona State has significantly reduced their, you know, the size of their stadium within the last five years. Uh, Arizona doesn't regularly sell out. USC, I don't think, has a ton of momentum and often does not have a terribly loud stadium. It's also those big bowl stadiums don't hold noise very well. Um yeah, and like UCLA, like they what they 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 were they were they were socially distancing last season. I mean, like they like I, I think that they could have you could the the they had some games in the Rose Bowl with like less than thirty thousand fans. I would put like so your top three least impressive home field advantages in the Pac twelve, Max. Uh Stanford, UCLA and it might be USC for me. Oh, I'm just, I'm I'm trying to think if I'm missing any. Yeah, because some of them are baked in, right? It's it can get really hot in Arizona, it can get really hot at ASU. Um, you have to get go all the way out to Pullman, which isn't easy. Yeah, and like the tra- and the UCLA USC travel really isn't that bad. Yeah, the like the one thing with Stanford, you mentioned Stanford, and and I understand that they don't have the fan base there. One of the questions we just had was, does Stanford have fans? <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but they have a sneaky, I, I want to go back and take a look at their home schedule, but you, you might follow this more than I do, Max. It seems like they're sneaky good at home, even though like people don't show up. 
Well, I, I, I mean, I would think most teams are better at home than on the road. So I don't know. And Stanford, for most of the past decade, was a really good team. So I don't know if you could really call them sneaky good at home. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, if you're if you're top ten, <laughs> you're gonna win most of your games at home. Um, I don't know if it affects Cal very much, having any like you know. Well, I, yeah, and then yeah, Cal like Cal would be the like for me. It's between all the California schools. Oh man, that's a bummer. It, like, um, how how loud can USC Stadium get? Well, like, yeah, you're right. We went over this last time where you were there for like the Lane Kiffin firing and the Sarkeesian years. Um. But I feel like that stadium can get pretty loud if if the team's good. I don't know. What do you think, Max? I, I mean, it's like a lot of like Los Angeles sports teams. It's it's a pretty fair it's fair weather fandom. Like if USC is good, then sure it'll get loud. But under Clay Helton, it's been relatively half empty stadiums for the most part. Rob, did I give you a stab at this? Uh, I mean, who's the wor- who's got the worst home field advantage in the Pac-12? Yeah. I mean, I mean. It's hard to, you like, uh, it might be Cal. I mean, like, I, I, I guess I would probably say Cal. It's just, it's hard to say because like, there's not like, there's a bunch of teams in the mushy middle that are just like, they don't seem overly intimidating at home. Like the Arizona schools sometimes have that like wacky late game, you know, like late night, you know, like Thursday or Friday night game in the desert or like, you know, a late Saturday game um you know wackiness to them but i don't know like i i don't i don't know that any like the it, it is tough because like I, I don't know that there's anyone in the conference that has like i mean really outstanding home field advantage um you know like the way that you would talk about like some of the sec schools that's a good question Patton. we're, we're going to stick with you here he asks another one um what is the best offensive scheme and defensive scheme in the pac-12 rob let's go to you first i think i've been going to max for most of the questions to start off I love, I mean, so like for, for schemes, I, I mean, I think that, um, I like what USC is doing. I mean, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, like, I don't understand people that call the area to gimmick offense <laughs> at all. <It's> like, <laughs> like, like, I just don't get it. Like Mike, Mike Leach took a bunch of dudes that like would have like of mountain West caliber talent, um, and won a bunch of football games in Pullman running it. Um, I think that, uh, with USC level talent, you know, like, and I, and I, I also, th- I mean, like if you, I, I think the best offensive scheme going in college football right now is Oklahoma's, which is, um, you know, the air raid matched up with, uh, running power. Um, and I like USC, I think if they, if they could adapt some of that, they'd be even better. But, um, I think just, if you look across the Pac-12 scheme wise offensively, I, I really like, um, what uh what harold does there um i think that i mean i i think schematically i mean i think the talent stinks but i think mazzoni does some interesting things um with arizona um that like i said like i just don't think the talent's there and i don't think khalil tate was a good fit so we'll see how they they show out next season um jonathan smith is terrific (laughs) actually and i i don't want to like because Jonathan Smith does a lot of almost like pro style sets. Um, and he just beats you with, I mean, he doesn't always beat you with the best athletes. He beats you with just pure execution and play calling and setting you up. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, if you were going to say like, it's, it's 
what USC is doing offensively and then what Oregon State does offensively. Those are the two best in the Pac-12. Um, defensively, I really like what Andy Avalos does um, at Oregon. Uh, I'm, I, I, I mean, I like Washington, I think is, it can be a little more of a, like, it's not, it's not just that it's fun. I mean, Washington's isn't just vanilla. Like they execute incredibly well. Um, but Washington's defense is, is predicated on, um, not giving up big plays. I mean, they're too high safety. Look, um, Washington is always good in beta rank in, uh, explosive drives. Um, I, I think that, I think that works. I just, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as, flashy or it's not as particularly as flashy or interesting i guess you could say uh i really like what utah does with its green dog blitzing um and i think that puts a lot of pressure on on teams too um as well and i think it, it's something that utah does that not all teams in the pac-12 do um but it does it does give utah you know more pressure on the quarterback if they are holding the ball um, you know, and, and the running backs, you know, and if they aren't sending the running back out in a route, like you might as well be sending that linebacker in. So, Hey, can you describe a green dog blitz? A green dog blitz is a, well, it's not, it doesn't just, it's usually a linebacker. Um, but whoever has the back, uh, in, in, in coverage and assignment, if the back stays in, um, or the, it could be the tight end too. Um, whoever has that person, if they stay in the block, um, then they are free once they've confirmed that that person is not that, that the person they're supposed to cover their man is not going to release out. Um, even, even late, they're free to blitz and they're supposed to come in late. And it's something like, if you watch Utah, like you will see Utah's linebackers. And it was, I mean, it was fascinating when you had the guys that they had con you know, converted down from safety that were just lightning quick, you know, coming in on these blitzes. Um, because they're often they're coming through, and the, the 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 offensive line has already sort of tried to account for who's coming, right? Like so they're not looking to pick up anybody extra. The back in this case may also already be having to deal with uh, and helping somebody out that's getting beat one on one um, versus one of the defensive linemen. So it's it's something where like if you if you watch Utah, watch out because they're a green dog team, um, and we talked about this uh, with. Uh, Max uh, spacing Max Brown. his picture. Yeah, Max Brown. Um, you know, like they'll, uh, you know, when when they, you know, like keep an eye on the on the linebackers for Utah. Um, you know, particularly if, if if you see the back or the tight end stay in, then then watch the Utah linebackers in the game. Oh yeah, that's I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, Max, any other names come up for you on the defensive or offensive side? See, I mean, I, I I'm just I'm a big fan of the air raid because I mean when when. Mike Leach ran it up in Washington State. It was it it was a great equalizer because just Washington State didn't have the talent, but with spreading it out and, and doing all of these quick short throws, it, it it just made the quarterback and the offensive line's lives a lot easier. And I think that you saw the the difference with USC implementing it this year versus what they ran under T. Martin the year before. So I'll go. I'll go with Graham Harrell, and then I I I really like what Washington does. Um, I just think uh, having the secondary um, be the best unit on the team, just because, especially in the Pac-12, where um, you might have some exceptions, but I still think that having a secondary in in, in college football nowadays with so many different pass offenses and and having the uh, nickel and dime sets at, always at your disposal. I think I, uh, the Huskies are always well-suited to win in today's game. It's always funny. Washington play, yeah. 
Go ahead. No, no. Washington played dime on 80% of snaps last season. Like, that's amazing. I mean, that's amazing like, to have that level of talent where you have that kind of confidence, like that you're – you're gonna run. You're gonna run time that often. Yeah, it's very impressive. It's always fun watching the games and not seeing the safeties in the television screen. <laughs> like they're just so <laughs> far back. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, a couple more questions here. Let's just empty the mailbag. Some of these are more big picture ones. And um, so, Secret Spy seventy three, our man, who's been uh, just really. Uh, by the way, so uh, one of the questions we had was. Uh, from Full and Opes, will any of the revelations of past racist comments hurt programs associated? I think we covered that at the beginning of the podcast. Um, Secret Spy, who's been great at sharing the podcast, thanks for doing that, um, says the big elephant in the room, uh, the politics have been able to have a football season uh, this coming year. Um, and I think he's more just asking whether or not there will be a football season. I have personally just been approaching this from the fact that we probably would have a delayed season. Um, a lot of the schools are like full steam ahead. Uh, I don't know if that's, that's actually going to happen, but it looks like it, Max. I mean, it's, it's just that going from month to month in this current environment, like it, it's just so tough for me to predict one way or another. So uh, I just, I don't know. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I just think one of the things there's so much money on the line for all these athletic departments, if they don't have a college football season, I think the system breaks. And I just, Rob, I think when there's that much money um, out there and when you have so much riding on whether or not there's a football season, I just think that they're going to put something together, whether they don't have a preseason or like a non-conference schedule. Uh, I do think that we see football this year, which is why we've continued to do the program because like, man, that would be really bonkers if they didn't do a, a NCAA tournament and a college football season. I mean, I think you see the elimination of so many smaller programs in general, but also like, you know, baseball and softball and all that stuff. I think that goes by the wayside. So there's a vested interest in actually having these games. I mean, also like, I think, I think a lot of our optimism came from the period of like the post the like the immediate post lockdown period when low. And I like I am not I'm probably a little more pessimistic with the recent data, which is not good in a lot of places. Especially um, Florida, where the right, I mean like where the was like is, is so optimistic about its season resuming. Florida and Arizona, California's got a lot of like new cases right now too. I mean there's um, like, uh, like the right answer is like, and Max is right. Like, I don't know. Like the right answer is, I don't know. Um, because we don't like uh, what everybody I think was sort of really optimistic about things and saying that, you know, like, yeah, this is all absolutely going to happen. And, um, I think we were sort of taking like whatever the immediate, what was immediately happening, happening and extending that forward. Um, I, I still think maybe we might be two weeks or so from really looking at like, what does the infection rate look like now that we're not in lockdown? Cause I don't think we know that yet. Um, and I think, I, I think that as we've seen, like, I mean, Oklahoma state and Mike Gundy was in a big hurry to get his players back on campus. Like they've had five players test positive. I, I'm, I don't, I mean, I, like I, I am less sure we're going to get um, a college football season in the fall. Right. I'm still confident we will have a college football season in this academic year. I just I think that there's too much dependent on it. I also like I guess I'm going to be optimistic and say, like, I think there's a vaccine in in early 2021. 
but that's where like i i'm i'm less i'm just less like I, i'm a little less sanguine than i was like i, I think that the i you know, i think a lot of people were putting some money on the weather helping out considerably um and i it does not look that i mean i had questions about that because that didn't seem to be helping in mexico or guatemala or ecuador but <laughs> um yeah so like i i would say just keep a like keep an eye on how keep an i mean i would say like we we should keep an eye like arizona and the pac-12 schools they're gonna start on the 15th of june is when they'll have their first football players back on campus um the pac-12 has mandates for i think weekly testing for athletes i don't i mean i like if you're if you're a if you're a school i mean it'll be interesting to see how this all works because like if a player if you're in, in practices and a player tests positive then uh you know, everybody in that position group or everybody on that unit is now has to isolate from each other, right? Or from everyone for yeah, 14 days. That's just why I don't like how this all works is like, I mean, I like, I don't know how this is all going to work. And I, I think that's the still the right answer. Like, I think there's a lot of hope and a prayer on like, this is going to happen. And you've been really good about this. And we actually haven't talked a lot about this on the podcast because I think it's really boring. <laughs> like, I mean, because we're just speculating and there've been other shows that have talked about this at nauseum is like, you know, and, and really the conclusion after an hour is no, like, who knows? I, I do think right. Rob, you've been really good about like saying, you know, as all these stories come out, just because the story comes out that somebody wants to do something doesn't mean that they're actually going to do it. I, I thought right. it's been crazy town to see all this momentum for, we're going to have a season. We're getting to camp in July. I'm like, what? Like, I just, I didn't, I don't know. I was more skeptical about that. What I am much more bullish on is the fact, I, I do think that there's going to be a season. Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be different as and I think it'll probably be later and I have nothing to prove just more just just taking a look at the landscape and totally speculating um, that we're going to have some issues in the coming months and I think the season's going to be pushed back. The one thing that I want to push back on heavily was John Wilner was on a podcast and he was talking about how athletic departments we're talking to him about, well, like you think of all the logistics we're going to have to go through. Like, you know, if you have an athletic department, um, you have a baseball game at the same time as a football game. What do you do with that? And my answer is you take the money and have the football game. That's what you do with that. Like, I mean, I just think yeah. it's crazy for athletic departments to be complaining about like, we're going to have too many things going on at the same time when football is the lifeblood of your program. You don't have an athletics program if you don't get the TV money. Like that is a problem for um, for universities. You, yeah. You hire some people to get it done. Yeah. Like you hire some low, I mean, you, you like, I get it that you have event staff that is often multi-purpose across, you know, like much of what you do, but like you go hire the people that you have to do to get it done so that you can keep football and the things going. Right. Like, you know, and maybe that means you take, you know, a, you know, an operate, like even like a little bit more of an operating revenue hit than you, or you, that you were planning on that your expenses are higher, but like, you just, you have to live with that. Like, I just, I don't understand, like everybody running around saying stuff like that. Like, what are you even talking about? Like, I just if think you have a chance to get a football season in, like that's a win. Yeah. I think that was more like athletic, you know, sometimes, sometimes the sources aren't as helpful <laughs> and sometimes they're super helpful. Um, that just yeah. sounded like, I, I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, hey, one more, one more question here was from uh, WBD the third, um, and it, and it regards Larry Scott and and basically he asks is limo Larry Scott like is it time for him to go? 
Um, we went through this at nauseum last year. And what I didn't want this podcast to be over time was just a constant complaining about Larry Scott um, because it, it just is what it is. He wasn't going to get high. Like he wasn't going to get fired last year. His contract goes to 2022, I think. Um, so I, I just thought, Rob, talking about this on every podcast and taking questions about it on every podcast, I just it was beating a dead horse and we beat that horse a long time ago. Um, so we haven't brought it up in a while, but I but I <laughs> that do makes it sound like we do not we do not repeatedly beat horses. Like we only beat them once. Like <laughs> <laughs> a man must have a code, Rob. Um, <laughs> like I, will, I may beat horses, but I only beat them once. <laughs> um so but we, I, I know that we have a lot of new listeners and our numbers have gone up and in the off season, we've had very good numbers too. So um, let's address this like briefly um, before, before we sign off here. Cause I do know that it, it is a question that people get asked. And um, I think, especially in the off season, it's a time to, to I guess, to talk about it. Um, Rob, do you want to start? I mean, I have, I have like thoughts that I've already said before, but um, like you have a pretty good handle on like the situation. I mean, I would say that with Larry Scott right now, I mean, uh, like in, you know, you can, my my view on the past performance of Larry Scott is not positive. Um, And that, but I, I, I think he's even in more of a, I mean, he's in an absolute pickle right now because he's got, he's going into, um, you know, this is the year that the PAC 12 goes into TV negotiations again. Right. Um, So the SEC went last year. Um, the Pac-12 is up this year um, to, to start to renegotiate the contract. Those negotiations were expected to run through this this season um, and over this year in the way that the SECs did too. Um, now you have every media company in the in the world, you know, suffering from severe revenue hits, um, and you're you're now 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 you're the one on the market. <laughs> um, and that it's not to say that there there is not still appetite i think out there for sports content i think that there is um i do think that however larry scott now he made a, he made the big bet on you know the the conference owned network without a distribution partner um and you know that that he has talked about coming into this negotiation cycle as being sort of like where he would really need to be graded um, on revenue because he, he, you know, he viewed it as that they would be set up owning all of their content, um, set up better coming into this distribution cycle. Um, I don't know, or, you know, this negotiation cycle, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. We had talked even before the, the pandemic hit that, um, you know, that the demand for third tier PAC 12, content you know like the oregon state versus arizona games is is not as high maybe as larry scott thinks and like any because it wasn't contracted with anyone before like anyone could have come knocking in the interim period and and put it in an offer on that content and no one did you know so like the idea somehow that the pac-12 was like incredibly well positioned from a content perspective i don't i don't buy as, as as much as maybe people are selling um but i do think that uh, I do think Larry Scott is, is if you were going to put odds on Larry Scott surviving, I, for, I mean, I, I, I had him as probably 40% before the pandemic hit. Um, I, I think it's, I mean, maybe people give him a break because of the pandemic. I certainly hope not. I, I think it's lower now. I mean, I think it's maybe around 30% that he, he survives there. There are still people like Michael Crow at ASU that are, I think big Larry Scott, you know, fans, but there are more of the conference presidents that have questions um, about what's going on. 
Yeah, my, like on my end, I don't know his contract. Um, I don't like the past uh, decisions that he's made. I think like when the whole entire stadium boos you in both football and basketball, <laughs> I think that's a problem. I think when you have leaks uh, from your staff um, about your announcements of getting a raise or um, you know, uh, just a, a lack of morale within the conference. It's a problem when you have like Woody Hayes, uh, you know, calling, <laughs> calling about uh, specific penalties that are called in football. It's a problem. Um, but like, so like, but I also don't know like the finances behind his contract and stuff. I, I just think from like a pure X's and O's standpoint, like, can somebody do a better job? Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. you know, like, I think it's a sunk cost right now where it's like, what is the benefit of keeping him? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure somebody can explain that to me, but I would like to see what that explanation is. Like, what is Larry Scott doing that somebody else can't do better? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I, that. I mean, like, and again, we've we've done whole podcasts on this for like 30 minutes segments each. And you can go back and listen to those. We've kept all of our old episodes on. Um, but that's those. That's the one answer I'd like to hear. And I haven't he- heard a good answer. Um, but again, I don't know the finances behind um, what his contract is and stuff. I don't know, Max, do you have, you have any anything to add on that? Uh, well, I just think with Larry Scott, like he still has a couple support, a uh, couple supporters regarding the Pac-12 presence that were the older guard. But I feel like the newer presidents that presidents that are coming in, um, they don't have as strong of allegiance to Larry Scott. Like I, I think Arizona State with with Pro, like he's definitely the top dog there. But I feel like as soon as these new presidents are coming in, um, I just feel like that that Pac-12, um, like they were fine with what they were, but now I feel like with the new Pac-12 presidents, like they're they're willing to, I guess, take a step back and assess the whole situation and realize that they're they're really falling behind the other conferences. So, oh, go ahead. No, you, Max, I mean, because you covered USC. I mean, like, we we talked about this a little bit before. Like, this was like the big story before the pandemic hit. Like, USC has an honest-to-goodness athletic director for the first time, I don't know, in like 20 years. Ever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that person sensibly looked at the TV money that USC was getting in and said, well, this doesn't add up. Like we can't compete for national championships with this kind of money. Like that conversation may have gotten sidetracked with the, you know, the coronavirus, but like that's still out there. I mean, I, like, I still feel like there's, 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 there's going to be some change forced by USC within the conference. And that, that is not good for Larry Scott. Well, I guess the problem well, I should say, but, but I just feel like that USC is in such a unique situation compared to most of the other schools in the conference. Yeah. That, I mean, USC, I don't want to say they can control their own fate, but they definitely have a better shot of doing so than pretty much every other school in the Pac 12 outside of possibly Oregon. Yeah. I mean, Oregon brings Phil Knight's money, but they don't bring, they don't bring anything like Southern California. Yeah. Right. But, like, yeah, I mean, like, I – it's just that this this upcoming college football season, it's so crucial for Larry Scott because, as you said, with the media deal or, or the negotiations for the new media deal a year away, it's just that there's so much uncertainty. Like, I, I still think that Larry Scott, like, he's – I don't think he deserves another chance unless he somehow pulls a rabbit <laughs> out of his hat. 
he gets a once in a lifetime deal from like Amazon or Apple. I was gonna say, I just wrote a guy like if Mark Zuckerberg like saves, I mean, just the 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 evil empire that is Facebook <laughs> saves. It's like comes in and saves Larry Scott. Like I mean, like as a Pac-12 fan, like I will be torn because I'll be like, like darn it, with Larry Scott is saved. I but I will I will also have to be like, oh, we actually have money now. Like let's use it. <laughs> the one thing that I always the, find interesting the, is that the Rose Bowl presented by the Facebook. Right. <laughs> the one thing I always think is interesting is that anytime there's negotiations, they get leaked. And I'm pretty sure that's on Larry Scott's side, right? Like, I, I don't think Apple's leaking. Hey, we're talking to the Pac-12 about like third tier rights. I think that's I think that's more on our side, which shows, uh, I think, a lack of upper hand on some of these things but i mean again all, all of our thoughts are, are well documented I, I don't think we're all i think most of us aren't fans i mean you you remember the in the fall i mean the remember the private equity plan that went up in smoke i mean and he didn't get an offer right like it, 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 right. the I same mean, was like we learned a lot from this like oh yeah it's that you're not worth what you think you are that yeah that's a good lesson right. <laughs> Like, but that's the kind, that's the kind of thing that um, a smart player has private conversations on, right? Yeah. That you don't, you do not go, you do not go, you do not go out to the market without, without a very good idea of what you're worth on the market like that, unless you're desperate. Yeah. And I, I think that's true. I mean, like, and that's happens with all the IPOs, right? They, uh, they get a valuation first. Um, and then they and then they set their price to see what people are willing to pay. Um, yeah, um, I, I don't know. Anyway, not not big fans. WBD, not big fans. Um, <laughs> we're we're not the only. It'd be weird to be like the only podcast. It was like no, no, Larry Scott, he's our guy. Like we stand for Larry. <laughs> I would I would love to hear like if there is a Larry if there's a pro Larry Scott Pac-12 podcast out there. We could start one. <laughs> There's there's not enough out there, right? There's not enough podcasts that's circulating in this world right now. Um, hey, let, let's leave it there. So uh, keep your questions coming. We like to we like to cover them. Um, this is really fun. It gives us an opportunity to like, frankly, uh, uh, take a, a week off of researching some of the units of these teams and all that stuff. So um, more than happy to answer questions as we move throughout the season. We have a couple topics in our back pocket that we've been stewing over. So we will have like more stuff coming that is new and we're not just retreading the same stuff over and over again. So uh, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you like the podcast, leave a review. Um, if you don't, then don't leave a review. <laughs> like, I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, and we'll catch everybody next week.